Two Republican senators have sponsored a bill to relocate several federal agencies' headquarters to states with difficult economies, including their own, Missouri and Tennessee. According to my next guest, this concept may not be the best idea, but neither is it the worst. Alan Baruby is a senior fellow at the Metropolitan Policy Program at the Brookings Institution, and he joins me now in studio. Mr. Baruby, good to have you in. Thanks for having me in, Tom. First of all, tell us about this bill. I mean, this is not something that has been unheard of in the history of the Senate. Yeah, that's right. This is uh, Senate Bill 2672, helping infrastructure restore the economy. The co-sponsors are Senator Hawley from Missouri and Senator Blackburn from Tennessee. And the basic idea is to you know, help uh, struggling economies in the United States uh, benefit from what are good jobs, federal jobs, good-paying jobs, decent benefits. Uh, and their mechanism for doing that is to take 10 cabinet agencies and distribute them to 10 different states around the country well outside of Washington. So the Department of Agriculture is going to go to Missouri. The Department of Education is going to go to Tennessee. Department of Commerce is going to go to Pennsylvania and so on and so on. Yeah, and this is similar to what Senator Byrd famously did in his tenure of moving a lot to West Virginia, where it still is. Yeah, that's right. So this isn't an explicitly partisan act. I mean, Senators Hawley and Blackburn are Republicans, but Senator Byrd, of course, famous Democrat, uh, you know, trying to revive the economy of West Virginia through federal employment. So there's some, I think there's some merit to the idea, regardless of your party. And then there's a partisan aspect to this, I guess, because I think it was Senator Clinton or former Senator Clinton, Hillary Clinton, had mentioned that in a different context that the progressive, if you will, or the Democratic precincts were better off economically than the Republican ones. I guess we could argue till the cows come home on cause and effect. Mm -hmm. But there is that backdrop to this question. Yeah, that's right. I mean, certainly, I think over the last decade, you see you see a pulling apart know, of the American economy by geography. And it so happens that the blue parts of the country, the big cities and metropolitan areas, particularly on the coast, are the ones that are growing faster. They have the really, really good jobs. And, the you know, the sort of flyover country in the middle tends to be redder. Uh, and those economies tend to be lagging and growing more slowly. And in your analysis of this, you point out something that is obvious and should be well known, but nevertheless, I think needs to be pointed out occasionally. And that is most of the federal government employees are not here in what it's called the DMV the now. The DMV, if you like, or the right, or the Beltway, uh, depending on how you look at it. Uh, yeah, that's right. Depending upon how you count it, uh, 80 to 85 percent of the federal civilian workforce is located outside of the Washington, D.C. region. Uh, you know, big, big agencies like Veterans Health, Internal Revenue Service, the FAA, right? They have to do their work all around the country and not just here in the DMV. And so... I guess the model for most agencies then is operations are where they need to be, which is everywhere, and policy is here and budget is here because Congress is here. That's right. So there are folks who work here in the greater Washington area for the federal government. And for the most part, they're here because they need to interact with other agencies. They need to have access to Capitol Hill. Uh, They need to have access to the the contractors and the suppliers that are clustered here in the Washington region. And you're arguing this may not be necessarily something to rule out altogether, the idea. Absolutely not. I I think there's merit to thinking constructively and carefully about, you know, which functions of the federal government must be here in Washington because of those, those reasons about access. Uh, but there are other agencies just by dint of actually where they're located in the Washington region. If they're way out in the suburbs or they're part of the Baltimore metropolitan area, 
it's not clear that they have to be here in Washington. So I think we might consider, you know, where those jobs could do the most good for the American economy and where they get access to the workers that they need. I was thinking when the plan was extant to move the FBI to Prince George's County or somewhere perhaps in beyond Springfield, Virginia, it occurred to me it would be faster to get to Richmond from the Virginia <laughs> side or to Philadelphia from the Prince George's County That's right. side and so, right. than it would be to get to downtown D.C. in some cases. <laughs> right. And maybe those jobs would do more good for the economy in Richmond, Virginia, than they would in Springfield, Virginia, for instance. We're speaking with Alan Berube. He's a senior fellow in the Metropolitan Policy Program at the Brookings Institution. You also examined this ERS, Economic Research Service, and the other one from a part of the Agriculture Department to now Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And they're there in name only, really, because they went, but it's like pulling on a worm and yeah. the, most of it stays in the ground when you pull the head off. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So the uh, you know, the Trump administration uh, made a move to relocate uh, the research service within the, the U.S. Department of Agriculture to Kansas City, but they did it they did it rather suddenly. They did it in the context of trying to slash the agency's budget. And I think they did it because of Political disagreements between the economists and the scientists at ERS and the you know the administration's policies. So it's not to say that there wouldn't be a you know a substantive case for putting people who are researching rural parts of the economy in a part of the country that has greater access to rural America. It's just that the way that you do it really matters if you care about the work that the agency does. And as we've seen, there have been agencies that have moved over the decades. And what's the methodology? I guess, in terms of relationships between the White House, the agencies, the cabinet and Congress, that this can happen in a positive way. Yeah. I mean, I think I think the first thing you want to look at are the you know the parts of very large agencies, right, that aren't really the headquarters function and the policymaking function, but are more uh, operational and sort of sub-cabinet in nature. So if you think about the Department of Health and Human Services, right, it's got major functions like the Social Security Administration, National Institute of Health. Uh, and those are functions that you know, I, you know many many employees and you know could be located in other parts of the region, other parts of the country, so long as the folks who are working at the policy making level on behalf of those sub cabinet agencies are located here in Washington. And there's physical issues too. You mentioned uh, your list of candidates that could have some employees moved out of D.C. Number three is Social Security. Mm-hmm. And they have such a big establishment in Baltimore, they've got their own exit ramp. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So they're, yeah, right. They're out in the Baltimore suburbs right now, which, fine. But Baltimore is also, uh, you know, a, as a regional economy, decent performing here in the Northeast Corridor. Uh, and it's not clear to me that there's something special about the greater Baltimore economy that requires them to have access to workers there. Again, that could be something done in many, many parts of the country. And I think we ought to consider that. And you mentioned National Institutes of Health topping the list. And they are they're jamming <laughs> Rockville Pike pretty much all the time, <laughs> even right. on Sundays. That's right. That's an interesting case, right? That And uh, in the report, I compare it to the Centers for Disease Control, which, you know, also, you know, part of, uh, you know, part of the same agency located in the greater Atlanta area, right? And it's, you know, these, these, uh, institutes are where they are by dint of history and sort of accidents of history. And so, you know, 17,000 people working at NIH, uh, I think there's an opportunity to think about where you could get access to great scientific and medical talent in other parts of the country, and you might save on costs. But again, you want to be you want to be really careful and you want to take your time and in, in thinking about relocating those kinds of really critical functions. And the Patent and Trademark Office is fourth on your list of candidates 
don't most of the patent examiners pretty much telework now from yeah, wherever they might many, be? Many, many do. Some are down in Crystal City. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's also something to put on the list for consideration. Much like NIH, though, you want to have you want to make sure that wherever you put it, uh, you have access to the people with the specific scientific and legal expertise that are required for a well-functioning patent. Office. And there's another issue here in the age of government trying to go digital with mm-hmm. modern communications and the debate back and forth about telework. Mm-hmm. I don't think as a society, as a as business entities, anyone's really figured out whether people do need to be physically co-located or can the modern communications methods really replace that physical proximity. I'm not sure they can. Yeah. I don't Some know, people yeah. think they can. I don't know that I actually, I actually don't know that the technology works well enough and is reliable enough all the time to really replace face-to-face interaction, but again, I think there are, you know, there are very discrete parts of work and discrete parts of agencies that don't require that face-to-face on a regular basis where telework could be part of the solution. So what happens next? I guess this bill has probably no chance. I don't of think passing. this bill is, is going anywhere. This is more of a kind of hortatory thing and putting an issue on the agenda. And, you know, I think for for more careful consideration, this is going to happen post-2020. But again, Andrew Yang, as a presidential candidate, has put this issue on the agenda. So I think there's interest on both sides of the aisle in thinking more carefully about this long term. Alan Berube, a senior fellow in the Metropolitan Policy Program at the Brookings Institution. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Tom. We'll post this interview along with a link to his analysis at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. Will you and everyone you work with lose their minds if you don't use Upwork to bring in more talent to help? Yep. Can you afford to spend months finding that talent the old-fashioned way? No. Can you hire them in seconds on Upwork? Yep. Is it complicated? Nope. Can you have them as long as you need? Yep. Longer than you need? Nope. Is Upwork a newer, better way to work? Yep. Is this commercial over? Nope. What about now? Yep. Upwork. This is how we work now. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.